Welcome back to episode number 222 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. It's a podcast we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're covering the top five questions companies have about flexible hoses and ducting. We're doing that with Ross Blanford, Director of Sales at MasterDuct. Ross, welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me back again. I'm looking forward to, uh, to today. I am as well. The last time we had you on the podcast was way back in episode 62, talking about designing hose systems to handle combustible dust. So that was three years ago. <laughs> I'm sure a lot has changed in terms of combustible dust and what we're doing there. But in today's episode, we want to kind of broaden the scope a bit to talk about flexible hose inducting more general, you know, other topics outside of combustible dust. And this actually came from a discussion that you and I had and both the help desks that we individually run. So at Dust Safety Science and Dust Safety Academy, we run a help desk. You have a question about combustible dust, you don't know what to do, you're not sure the answer is something, you need to get connected with somebody, you can just ask us. And our team has the whole help desk system to get the answers for that. Well, Ross is doing something very similar with hosing and ducting for the MasterDuct website, which is at masterduct.com. And he gets a lot of good questions around hoses and ducting. And when we had that discussion, we sort of decided, well, let's talk about what these top five questions are on the podcast. So I'm sure if somebody's asking it through the online source, there's got to be other folks that have these questions as well. So it has been three years, Ross, I think, if my math is correct, 150 episodes, 50 episodes a year. Could you just refresh the audience's memory with what your current role is and what you do in industries today? Uh, no problem. As Chris mentioned, my name is Ross Blanford, the Director of Sales for North America for MasterDuct. I am uh, responsible uh, for all the sales in uh, North America for our company and to, uh, to promote our uh, sole manufacturing point here in Houston, Texas. So we get into the questions and we're going to go through what the five of these are, but what do you, when you say flexible hose inducting, what do you mean when you, you say that just to put that image in the audience's mind? Well, there, there's several different types of, of industrial hoses, and uh, the flexible hoses inducting that we manufacture are more on the low-pressure side of the industrial hose world. Companies like Continental, Gates, and Texel focus on the higher-pressure side of the business, but our primary focus is products made from thermoplastic, thermoplastic rubber, and also fabrics that carry air, heated air, cooled air, uh, welding fumes, chemical fumes, and many, many different types of abrasive solid materials. Some examples are flour and sugar in the food industry, powdered pharmaceutical ingredients in, the, in that industry, even all the way to powdered milk, grit for roofing tiles, plastic pellets for plastic manufacturers. Uh, there are actually 32 different vertical markets where our products are used. So we are, we're one of the more diverse sides of the hose inducting world. We're going to get into the questions, but grit for, for roofing tiles sounds abrasive. <laughs> uh, it, fairly so. <laughs> um, well, what, what is, so yeah, the, the concept behind this is just to get your insights on these top questions that you're getting day in and day out, but that on the, the podcast. Before we get into the individual questions, I guess, can you just give a summary? What are the five questions that we're going to be walking through today? As you mentioned, we have a, a chat on our website and uh, we get we get at least a couple of people popping in a day to ask different questions about different applications. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about here is the life expectancy of flexible hose inducting. Then we'll go into approvals a little bit for the food and the pharma industry. And then we'll talk about grounding 
hoses and combustible dust safety, which obviously is of key importance to your core audience. Then we'll look at a little bit about the urethane material and how it compares to other thermoplastics and rubbers and what some of the advantages are to uh, the end users to uh, specify a, a urethane product. And then in, uh, in closing, we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the information that we need in order to be able to help a distributor find a solution for their customer or to help an end user find a solution that we can then take to a distributor to offer them pricing. Yeah, it makes a lot, of, a lot of sense to me. And those are some of the similar questions that we've heard with this stuff in terms of life expectancy, some of the nuts and bolts for approvals, grounding and bonding, different types of materials, and then closing with, okay, you're going to reach out to Ross and you should, what should you have prepared? Or what are some of the first questions that are going to be coming back that you'll need to move forward with understanding your options here? So on this first piece, the life expectancy, how long is my hose going to last, Ross? <laughs> well, you know, when I do training for end users, for engineers, and for distributors around the country, this question is how I close my, my conversation, because I, I kind of refer to it as the unanswerable question. It's very frequently asked, but uh, since every application has different variables, such as different temperatures, different pressures, different atmospheric conditions, different conditions in the area where the hose will be installed, different media going through it, you know, we can take all those factors into consideration and choose the hose that will perform the best based on the information that we have. Unless we've tested a hose for life expectancy in a particular application and have the data to back that up, it's really impossible for me to, to, to take a hose into a, a, a facility and say, this hose is going to last nine months and four days. It just doesn't work that way. The aside question to that is if somebody does have a hose and they're looking to install it, how would they know if it's getting towards the end of its life expectancy? Is it, is it something that's obvious to, to understand or look at? Well, generally speaking, when hoses get toward the end of their life expectancy, if they're made of PVC, they tend to start getting stiffer and stiffer, and uh, eventually they'll even crack and break. If the hoses are made of urethane, you primarily have to look for the wear, and you have to understand that once the, the, the helix wire is exposed, the hose is done and needs to be replaced because it's no longer safe as well. But, but really, if you start seeing cracks around the ends of the hoses where they attach to the, uh, to the machinery, the equipment, uh, obviously, if you start seeing leaks in the hoses, and, and there's one dead giveaway, duct tape. <laughs> yep. If you see duct tape on a hose, there's a 100% chance that it needs to be replaced instead of having more duct tape applied to it. That's just the marker that you go around putting on the hoses, right? Black or green duct tape so that you, you know which ones <laughs> need to be replaced. I actually came up with an idea to sell hoses with duct tape already on them to save our customers the trouble and our legal and, and marketing department didn't let that go very far. Okay. So we, we covered life expectancy. Some of the things you mentioned there, like that would govern life expectancy included the, the media, the velocity. Those are going to be two key things that are going to drive different abrasion patterns or characteristics in that type of hose temperatures, pressures, other conditions outside the hose. I'm picturing if it's moist versus not or a really dry location of the site or something like that. All those would come into play to understand. And the point you left off with is you, you guys have tested some hoses, so you may be able to give some experience that way. You also have the background experience for 
types of sites that'd be similar and what they've been uh, experiencing as well. So that's even more reason to to reach out to folks like yourself and try to understand, okay, well, how long is this investment going to last and what does this look like? On the approval side, what does that look like? We had a help desk question come in through our system that we've now posted on LinkedIn um, over the last few days about sugar. And that comes up, this kind of approval side. What does that look like for, for food and pharma and beverage? Well, for certain types of hoses, there are approvals that are needed in the pharmaceutical and food industry primarily. On the low pressure side, there's no approval process to go through. People ask me all the time, are your hoses FDA approved? And I can say, you know, that, that unlike other types of hoses, there's no real approval process to go through. There is an FDA material standard that we publish in our, in our literature that our, material, that our hose material complies to. But ultimately, all that we can say is that our hoses are made from resins on the plastic side or FDA food grade compliant. So that's more the materials that are involved that you're using to ensure they meet those characteristics, but there actually isn't a, a systems-based approval test for these low-pressure hoses. Is that what I hear you say? Yes, that, yes, sir, that's correct. There's no lab that I can send these hoses to to have them tested to through a particular process to an FDA standard. The same thing would also apply to applications where there are combustible dusts and combustible vapors. In Europe, for example, our parent company's hoses are ATEX listed for zone, class one, zone one, class one, zone two, and so on. Uh, but here in the United States, if you, if you reference uh, NEC 500 and 505, there's no standard there for hoses. So we rely on the NFPA standards and, and other uh, ISO standards and, and that sort of thing to kind of put a, a framework in place that end users and safety professionals can use to make sure that their hoses are safe. You mentioned combustible dust there. I think that leads into this third topic of grounding and bonding. That's probably something we covered back in this previous episode in, in episode 62. So you can go get that at dustsavingscience.com slash 62. I think in that episode, we talked about different types of hoses, how they're certified, challenges with industry adoption of these types of systems. I know it's somewhere where you've been pretty active over the years. For grounding and bonding, which is the, the question we're talking about today, what is the considerations for the type of hose that you guys work with? Well, the, the third most popular question that I get is, does your hose have a grounding wire? And this one, this one kind of drives me nuts a little bit because the term grounding wire is used commonly in the hose inducting world when the actual term that people should be used, using is, does your hose have a helix wire? The helix wire is there to add stability to the design of the hose and to allow the hose to hold more pressure. Without a helix wire, the only way to do that is to make the hose wall thicker, which of course makes it less flexible and harder to work with. Can the wire be used for grounding? Of course it can. But if someone is only relying on the mechanical ground of the grounding wire to a ground connection for safety against arcing and sparking, and if that connection is broken, then there can be a problem. There's no secondary source of, of safe transfer for that energy. And so is there any difference then with the kind of products that you guys are working with for this area for grounding and bonding or uh, electrostatics in general? Well, the real question here should be, is your hose safe for combustible dust? And, and working with customers every day, I see hoses used with combustible dust that really shouldn't be. The only way to effectively protect against uh, combustible dust or combustible vapor explosion is to have an additive in the plastic or in the fabric 
that prevents the hose from developing a static charge on the surface up to a particular ohm rating. Hoses rated at or around 10 ohms up to the ninth power are considered to be anti-static or static dissipative. For even more protection, we can add carbon black to those hoses, bring that conductive property up to 10 ohms sub to the fourth power. So we can actually almost double the effectiveness or the protection that the hose offers. But uh, I've been in dozens of plants and seen hoses being used with combustible dust and combustible vapors with no helix wire at all. This is really common in pharmaceutical plants where they're trying to keep met metal out of the plant for fear of metal contamination and the same in food processing. In this case, there's combustible dust going through the hose. There's no wire at all. How is there supposed to be any sort of grounding? It's very difficult, if not impossible to do. And so then are you saying that, I think this is probably tying to your fourth point on the urethane material. Do you require both a grounding wire and the urethane or some material that has an ohm rating of this type of level in order to get that proper grounding? Is that, is that what you're saying or am I misinterpreting that a bit? No, not at all. Uh, in order for a hose to be safe to use with combustible dusts and combustible vapors, a helix wire is a good secondary protection. But if there is no carbon black or no additive in the plastic or the fabric to make the hose static dissipative or anti-static without the wire, then you're really relying on a mechanical connection that can be broken in any number of ways. So, you know, the Master Duct uh, urethane products are all food grade compliant and they're all anti-static. And we're the only manufacturer in our space that can say that. So with Master Duct, you really don't have to worry about is, is this hose safe to use? It's all safe to use everywhere. And, and ultimately as a safety professional, whether it's food safety or uh, combustible dust safety or operational safety, this is a, an area that, that is uh, critically important, but often overlooked and, and a problem that is very easy to solve. The other kind of point is that you can kind of tune it to what you need, right? So if you are handling flammable vapors with very low MIE values, then you may need to look at those additives like carbon black and those other things to get your resistivity lower. When you're looking at the NFPA standards, and I probably should have pulled these up, but I don't have them in front of me. There are certain sections where they require different types of resistivity. And that's where you see the funny numbers tend to the, the power of nines and, and fours and, and that sort of stuff in there. If you're reading through that and you're not fully getting it, which I'm not an electrostatics guy either. So, so I don't sometimes. Ross is the one you should talk to. He mentioned at the start that he talk, he does training sessions across the country on this stuff. Um, if you're trying to figure out what the correct hose and ducting are for your type of site, reach out to him or reach or go to the Master Duct website and leave a comment there. I think that's why I started this help desk is just to make it easy for people to get your, their questions answered. I want to move into the fifth part, which is what information do people need to provide you? But anything we missed on the first four questions, life expectancy, approvals, um, grounding and bonding, the urethane material, anything in there before we move on to, okay, what information do need, people need to supply? One of the additional frequent questions we get is that people don't really understand the difference between urethane and PVC when it comes to thermoplastic hoses used in industrial manufacturing applications. The primary motivator to buy PVC is that it's, it's inexpensive. So I get a lot of questions about why should I pay more money for a urethane hose when I'm currently using PVC? And there's three or four different kind of reasons for that. Urethane is, is good for a wider range of temperatures. 
PVC hoses are really only good up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit, where urethane is good for up to 195 degrees Fahrenheit. And, uh, and I heard a rumor that there may be a company that's developing a urethane product that'll be good with uh, temperatures up to 250, but uh, people will have to stay tuned for that. Urethane is also four to five times more abrasion resistant than PVC, offering a much better ROI due to a less frequent replacement. So how many combustible dusts are not abrasive? There's not many. So if you, if you have a combustible dust problem and you have abrasive dust going through, then you may as well use the material that's going to give you the, the longest life expectancy and the best ROI. Finally, PVC hoses are made with plasticizers, which is an invisible additive that evaporates over time, making the hoses more difficult to work with and stiffer the longer they're installed. The best way to visualize this is to think about the haze that coats the inside of your car windshield that you have to clean off a couple, three times a year. It makes it difficult to see when you're driving. Everybody sees that happening, but nobody really thinks about why it happens. And the reason it happens is that the plasticizers in the dashboard of your car are evaporating and coating the inside of your windshield. The same exact thing happens with the hoses inside of, of industrial manufacturing plants. And as the plasticizers evaporate, the hoses get stiff, they get hard to work with, and they, they even crack and have to be uh, replaced prematurely. Urethane does not use any plasticizers. So it's, uh, it's safe, safe to install in any sort of environment. It lasts four to five times longer, and it, it, it's as easy to work with the day you replace it as it is the day that you put it in. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of positive upside to, uh, to urethane. And in some parts of the world, PVC is not even legal to use in certain industries because of, 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 of other safety concerns. So we want to be the market leader when it comes to industrial manufacturing and abrasive media. We've got a great story to tell when it comes to, when it comes to urethane versus other plastics and, and rubber materials. Yeah, and I can picture it too, like the you, you mentioned the other materials like PVC and that that they they'll get harder over time. But also, if you're running it in in equipment that's vibrating, in equipment that's moving, or if there is the chance of like impingement or something striking, you know that that kind of duct, like these are all things that can cause that material to crack. And I know because we have we've had a couple of products around the house where you hit it wrong, and, and yeah, it, it so. Those are all things that where I can imagine that urethane or some type of thermoplastic material would be better suited to not break or crack under vibrational load, under striking, under uh, movement, those sorts of things. Are those other areas where we'd see this type of material have better performance? You're absolutely right, sir. Great. So, okay. Well, what you, you convinced me. I'm, I'm on the urethane train. <laughs> what do I have to provide to you in order to figure out how to get started? What sort of information is needed? In closing, one point that I'd like to reinforce to the listener is that a lot of a lot of times when you're considering equipment in your facility, people pay a lot of attention to the dust collectors, to the uh, flame preventers for other types of material, uh, but the, the hoses tend to kind of be a, an afterthought. So I would encourage people to put as much thought into the hose they select for their dust collector or their pneumatic conveyance system or, or a mist collector or something, than they do the performance standards of the equipment itself. 
when it comes to uh, selecting hoses, there, there's a real edu- need for education in the market on low pressure hoses and ducting products. And, and ultimately, this sort of platform is, is what we need to help accomplish that. So in order to make sure that we select the right product for a particular application, the hose and ducting industry uses an acronym that's, spelled, that, that's the word STAMPED, S-T-A-M-P-E-D. The letters each stand for a particular piece of information that's important. So the S stands for, stands for size. How long does the hose need to be and what diameter does the hose need to be? The T stands for temperature. So we need to understand, is there, is there heat in the area where the hose is going to be installed? Or is the air, or air and media going through the hose going to be at any sort of an elevated temperature? The A stands for atmosphere. What's in the area, like you mentioned, is, is, it, is it attached to something that's moving around? Is there something maybe striking the hose? Are there sharp objects in the area? Are there elevated temperatures? Are there, are there low temperatures? What atmospheric conditions could impact the hose's performance? The M in STAMP stands for media. So what's the hose actually carrying? Is it carrying flour, sugar, concrete, cement, vehicle exhaust, hot air from an oven? What, what's going through it? And then the P is for pressure. Is there positive or negative pressure on the hose and how much? So each hose is going to have a rating that it can handle of positive and negative pressure. And obviously you wanna make sure you don't exceed that or uh, you could have a, uh, a catastrophic failure that would be in no one's best interest. The E in stamp stands for connect the hose to the equipment. Is it as simple as using a, a worm gear clamp or do you need a molded on fitting that's sanitary that doesn't allow any sort of microbes or any sort of contamination to, to grow? And then finally, the, the, the D in, stamp, in stamp stands for delivery. Where are the hoses needed and when are they needed? How much time do we have to find a solution? There you go. So we got stamped, S-T-A-M-P-E-D, size, temperature, atmosphere, media, pressure. And then I missed the E. I think it cut out for just a second. I know what it was. It was the, the connection point. What was the word? The E, the e stands for end treatments. End treatments. Okay. Yeah. So the connection points. Um, and that's a good, and, and then D was delivery. And that's a good point of the connection, the, the endpoints, in that that's a question where if you're asking about the approvals and food grade, then you, you really need to be looking at that. Are the connection points also antimicrobial, like you said, or have some other characteristics that are required for safety, food safety, combustible safety, and the like? Really interesting topic. I do appreciate, we'll have to not wait three years to get you back on and talk about hoses and ducting again, Ross. Um, I do appreciate the efforts that you and the Master Duck folks are doing out there um, on combustible dust and and specifically, I guess, on hoses in general. Combustible dust specifically trying to educate the the marketplace on type of hazards because we have seen loss incidents caused by ignition due to the hoses. We've also seen combustible incidents caused by the the duct tape failing (laughs) and more dust getting into the site than is needed in terms of fugitive dust. Also, in a lot of cases where after explosion, you look at the connection points of the hose inducting and there's chocked full of material, right? Um, like sticky inks. We've seen cases of that and, and others. So it's these connection points are important to understand and evaluate because your whole safety program is only as good as your weakest link. So your weakest link is that hose and you haven't looked at it and use the right materials to make sure it's safe, 
compliant, whatever the, the case may be, then, then that could be your failure point at the end of the day. Um, anything else you want to leave folks off with, Ross, before we cut it out for this episode? Appreciate the platform. And I think, uh, I think we've given folks a lot of good things to think about. And ultimately, uh, we're, we're here as a resource, as, uh, as Chris is, with the, the entire Dust Safety Science platform. And uh, we certainly appreciate the uh, opportunities to support the organization and to provide, hopefully, some interesting information to your uh, audience. No, I couldn't agree more. And I was going to say you'll be at the Powder Show, but actually, now that I think about it, I think this episode is probably coming out after the Powder Show. So hopefully, if you were at the Powder Show, you got a chance to see Ross and some of the Master Duck team that would be out there in the, the exhibition floor. But this point is kind of moot because I think the episode is going to come over after the show. So if you had, <laughs> if you were uh, at the Powder Show and you get a chance to run to myself or Ross, uh, maybe shoot us an email again to, to follow up after listening to this episode. Ross, thanks again. I look forward to a chance to, to get you and the Master Duck team back on the podcast in the future. Absolutely. Thanks again, Chris. Okay. Talk soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Ross Blanford, Director of Sales for North America with Master Duck. We talk about the top five questions that companies have about flexible hose and ducting. So again, this is sort of a follow-on episode to one that we had um, a number of years ago, episode 62, talking about designing hose systems to handle combustible dust. In this case, we're sort of broadening the scope a little more into covering what are the questions that Ross gets about hose and ducting? What are the answers to some of those questions? So we talked about life expectancy, we talked about approvals, we talked about grounding and bonding, we talked about the urethane materials versus other materials of construction. We talked about the type of information that you would need to understand what kind of hose is going to work best for your application. If you have any questions, and I kind of pointed this out in the, the episode itself, I know Ross is doing a lot of travel around the U.S. and, and North America on hose inducting and also on training folks up. So he's a really good resource for this. I can almost guarantee that no one's thinking about hose inducting as much as Ross is <laughs> from my, my lengthy discussions with him. So if you have questions about this, you want to get feedback, you are not sure what your best options might be, you're looking at return on investment, all those sorts of questions are the, the ones that direct his way. So we'll have his contact information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 222 for this episode, 222. Uh, you can go to the masterduck.com website. I encourage you to reach out to, to Ross to learn more about what they're doing there. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work they're doing out there. Thank you so much.